Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Covetousness, self-reliance, and envy can rob us of gratitude and contentedness. So much of our world programs us to feel restless, entitled, and discontent regarding our possessions, how we look, our work, and our relationships. Have you ever asked yourself, how much is enough? Taking his cue from the Apostle Paul, John Courtright shares the secret of being content, recognizing that what God has done through Christ is already enough. In the end, Courtright concludes, based on Psalm 73, that God is his chief good his portion, his refuge. Therefore, come what may, God is enough. Here now is Podcast 77, God is Enough by John Courtright. Philippians 4.11. Paul writes, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with the humble means, And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Uh, Last week, Luis actually went to this later on in his teaching, and I thought it would be a good place to start this morning. If you read earlier in Philippians, Paul writes, you know, he talks about all his credentials in this world. In Philippians chapter 3, and man, he, he, you know, from a world's perspective, he had it all. And yet, he comes to the conclusion that um, I'll count it all but loss for Christ. I count it all but loss for Christ. And then he says, I count it all but dung, is what the King James Version says. <laughs> Everything without Christ, it's nothing. It means nothing. But when you have Christ, it's everything. And I, I like the new. Uh, Living translations similar here, but I, I just like the way this is worded, and I put it here on the chart. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ, who gives me the strength I need. I like that. I've learned the secret of how to be content. And that's what we're going to look at today. The secret to being content. To understand God's enough. I'm okay. Everything's going to be a-okay. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 6, It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Godliness, and the King James says with contentment, is great gain. Godliness. What is godliness? I've heard it called a true vital spiritual relationship with God. Um, It's God. What is godliness? It's you and God. You and God. You and God is enough. 
You and God Almighty in your life is enough. But you have to be content with that. And that's the key, is to be content with that reality that godliness is enough. Me and God, that's enough. And if you can be content with that, that's the secret to living life, to where you can really be free and blessed and happy, and, and that's really the root of thanks, thanksgiving, the root of thankfulness is contentment, contentment with what you have. Um, I listed in this, and I'm sure there's many different things, but I, I thought of what are the things that keep us from being content? So we need to, if, if there was music here, you'd get a, a good theme music. I don't know. Da -da -da! It changes here. The enemies of contentment. These are the things that take you away from contentment. And I thought, let's look at these. Because if, if, if you can be aware of these things, when these things come up in the back of the neck and the, they come around the head to grab you, if you can recognize them and nip it in the bud, um, you can defeat these enemies of contentment. And they are covetousness, self-sufficiency, and envy. There's probably more, but these are three big ones that, that I know I deal with. Um, that I have to be aware of and watch. So the first one, covetousness. Now, New American Standard says greed. And I think it's because I think covetous, covet is probably like an old English word. It's not, you know, so we use greedy. But I don't know, for me, covetousness has a sinister feel to it. You know what I mean? You're covetous. Greedy's like, oh, he's greedy. Covetous, like, ooh. And that's why I'm going to use the word covetousness, even though the New American Standard says greedy. It's the same thing, but because it's, it's evil. And, and, it, and it doesn't seem evil from the surface, but it's really evil. And it will really take you out, um, covetousness. Well, we're here in 1 Timothy. Um, we'll go on here after it says, if we have, verse 8, if we have food and covering with these things, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grieves. The love of money is the root of all evil. Um, look at Hebrews. Hebrews is just a few books over here. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And in verse 5, another verse on this. It says, make sure that your character, that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And look at Luke. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 12. Luke 12. Um, love of money. And what, what, 
the real thing of love, love of money, it's that covetousness. It, it, is the, it is where it lures you and takes you in. It, 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 it gets you to say, you want me. Don't you want me? Come on, come on, you want me. You want this, don't you? <laughs> you know, and, and, and the people, oh. You know, it, it feeds on that natural thing inside to want. And it feeds on that. And Jesus Christ was very aware of this. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Oh, family inheritance. Huh? Has, any, could anybody, has anybody ever been involved with or when it comes to inheritance and dividing up the inheritance? Whoa. You want to get into a mess. And you want to see some really nice people who are your brothers and sisters suddenly turn into, get into a big inheritance dispute. And that's what's going on here. The guys come to Jesus and say, hey, talk to my brother, man. He's trying to, I'm not getting in anything here. Tell him that this isn't fair. Jesus, he's not going to be any part of this. He said to him, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? <laughs> it's not my job. You know, and people will ask you as, as a counseling, what am I going to do? Ah! Ah. Now he brings it back to really what the issue is. And then he said, beware. You know, sometimes it would be great to look at the amount of times that Jesus said, beware. It's not a lot of them. One in it was beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. We could do, could do a teaching called beware. You know, you go and there's a dog and he says, beware of dog. Ooh, watch out, right? When, when the Lord says beware, we should beware. We should take notice. Beware, beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed or covetousness. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. That's a, that's a huge statement. How many of us determine our value or how we feel about ourselves by our possessions? How many of us determine how important these possessions and things that we have make us feel worthy or worthwhile or not so worthwhile? Or how you look at another person and depend about how they are? Depending on their possessions. Life has nothing to do with your possessions. That's a deep statement. And then he says a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul! You have many goods laid up for you for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How many people, especially the Western world that we live in, spend their life trying to set up a nest egg for them to live in their later years to say, now I've arrived. Now finally, I can have peace and quiet. I finally, if I could just get this job and get this salary level, 
oh man, then everything's going to be good. We're all dying, baby. All right? We're all dying. So, what is it that's your treasure? What is it that you covet? You understand? What is it you long for? It doesn't possess by your possessions. Um, I, I've got in your notes Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. That's the one that talks about treasures. It says they're like, they fly away like an eagle. You know, when you, when you put your trust in flat, treasures, all of a sudden, whoo, Gone. Shoot, gone. Here they gone. Just not worth it. Second Peter chapter two. Why is it why is it we have this desire to want? You know you know what I don't get? The world tells us so many things. I went through the mall a few Months ago, my son was looking for jeans. I was looking for jeans, just a nice pair of jeans. I thought, well, we'll go to the mall. There's a lot of stores in the mall. Almost every store, every pair of jeans is ripped. <laughs> I'm serious. I, was just, I, I haven't been to the mall in years. I just go to you know, one of these cheap stores. I'm like, what is that? Oh, I got to have a rip in my jean. What is the matter with us? Look it, buy a jean at Walmart, I'll rip it for you, and you can pay me the difference. It's just crazy. What? what? This is, but this is the world we live in. How, why do we feel that way? It's, I, it, I don't think it's by accident. I think there are forces to get us to covet. Even things that there's no reason coveting. But we gotta have it. Gotta have that. Where did I say go? Second Peter. Here's what's going on. Second Peter really gives us a great description of what's happening. Second Peter chapter two verse fourteen. Having eyes full of adultery, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out of arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires for sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in air, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by he is enslaved. In the King James, in verse 14, where it says, having a heart trained in greed, um, it says they have a heart exercised with covetous practices. This is really, it's spiritual. You understand the world that we live in is spiritual. And it drives how we think about ourselves. 
The, we should not allow the world to drive how we think. But it affects us, television, newspapers, the internet, all of it is, is a move to get you to covet. I mean, it's just, it just is. You know, and, and, and you have to be on guard because every day, no, even if you try to stay away from it, every day it's around us. Um, my son is going through an economics class, and we were talking, actually just this morning, we were talking about this. Why do we do the things that we do? A hundred years ago, now this may sound disturbing to some of you, so I'll tell you ahead of time. A hundred years ago, they were learning about advertising in, in this high school class. A hundred years ago, people didn't take showers every day. <laughs> no, it's about once a week. They'd bathe. Oh, <laughs> and, but what's happened is we've got new technology. We don't have running water. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and then the advertisers come in. You know, you got, you know, you got Old Spice guy. <laughs> right? You got, you got the shampoo. Ladies, you could look beautiful. You gotta have, and you gotta have this cosmetic. You gotta have this shampoo and this deodorant, and you gotta have this and this so you can be clean. Don't tell me this isn't real. This is right. I mean, this is home, people. And now the thought of of not taking a bath once a week. I'm glad you guys took all baths today. Okay, don't or showers. That, but you know what I mean. Why do we feel? Why does that make importance to us, whether I've showered or not? or whether I have makeup or not, or whether my clothing looks right or not. Really, what is it that makes you feel that you've got enough? Or that you're good enough? Is it all the stuff that the world's telling you that you need to have, gotta have, gotta have? Or do you think God's enough? Do you think the sacrifice of Christ for you is enough? Bring it home, right, right into the, where we live. And we wash, and we bathe. You know, what are the hot things for Christmas this year? Hmm, what are some of the stuff out there? Well, I asked my sons, you know, they're up on these things. Of course, there's the, the iPhone. You, got, you need one of these, I mean, I don't just want to have a phone anymore. You know, well, that was, you know, a cell phone? What, what, there, I have cell phones. Ooh, so I don't want to have a cell phone. No. I want to have a cell phone that I can Skype with. I can text with, I can get on the internet, I can check my Facebook, I need it all. It's what I need. I gotta have it. And then, and then you know, they propound the things. Now, now I have boys, so you know, maybe they, this is more interesting to them, but uh, I guess one of the big games out, you guys will like this, Call of Duty, Black Ops. Whoa, yeah, I gotta have that game. I gotta have Black Ops. I gotta have that. Yeah. That's the tops. I gotta have that one. Whew. Or my, my son, this is maybe for a little younger. Or there's a Kung Zhu. Hamsters, stuffed animal hamsters that you put armor on and you can launch them. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Oh, is that cool? I gotta have it. 
My boys would have to have it, right? We gotta have these things. Oh, and if I don't get it for my son, he's gonna have a terrible Christmas. I gotta get it for him. I just gotta get it for him. And it plays on us. I tell you this because we come into a season of the year that should be Thanksgiving. We celebrate the birth of the Messiah. And yet, what is underneath all of this? What is the spiritual thing when it gets down, when it really gets down to it? When it really gets down, you get to the nuts and bolts of what's going on. The point is, get you to no longer trust in your relationship with God. That's really what it's all about. All the other stuff is just sugarcoating. The real reality in life is you and God. You and God. And all this other stuff is superficial to try and rob you of contentment. To rob you of being at peace with God. It's a real enemy. Beware of it. You know, many years ago, um, it really wasn't, um, it really wasn't a big deal in my life, but it was always on my mind. And, um, I always, you know, like the idea of the lottery. I never, I don't know if I've ever bought a lottery ticket. I might have, I don't know. But the idea of the lottery, a dollar in a dream. And I used to dream. Well, if I had, if I had the million dollars, you ever do this? If I had the million dollars, first, of course, I'd tithe. <laughs> right? Oh, but then what I could do for God if I had it. Or this Monopoly game with McDonald's, they've been, this has been on run for years. I remember, oh, Lord, give me boardwalk. Because <laughs> what I could do for God. You know, and then all these little things like, uh, you know, pyramid schemes that would come along. And you start calculating, you see, if I sold one and then he sold two and then they sold five and they sold, whoa, whoa, whoa. Man, what I could have in the end. Um, and how many people get sucked into these things on a daily basis? You get, how many things in the mail do you get trying to show you how you can, you know, publisher's clearinghouse. Whoo. The guy come to my house with a big check. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, these, these things that, that they, they, they just, they encompass us. And, and, they, and I, I used to just sit sometimes, I'm, I'm, I'm big in Excel spreadsheets. I love Excel. I love mathematics. And, and sometimes I would just sit, you know, when I had nothing, you know, when my mind's in ozone and I'd have my computer and I'd sit. And with my Excel spreadsheet, I'd start, let's see, if I had, if I invested and I got 8%, then, then you could change the number in Excel. What if I got 10%? Oh, what if I got 15% return? Whoa, whoa, <laughs> You know, and like I say, it wasn't a big thing, but, but it was there. It was, it was in my heart. And, and, and I came to terms and realized this. And the way, the way I did is I, I, uh, we had a marriage uh, financial seminar, and we went through a wonderful man who has since uh, passed away and has waited the Lord's return. Larry Burkett did a Christian financial concepts. And he had a wonderful class called uh, Money, uh, uh, make, not Money Matters. But it was, one was financial planning. And, um, but in there, he, he posed a question. And, 
it, it, really, it really absolutely changed my life. Because I, I was always like never meeting end meat, finding myself getting in debt again and trying to get out and, and all these little things. And he, he made the comment, he said, every one of you, you have to determine how much is enough. When, when, when is enough enough? How, what, what is it? What's your number? And until you know what that is, you're never going to be content. And you're always going to be in financial problems if you never come to terms with how much is enough. When is enough is enough? And then I read that verse in Timothy, I mean, that we read earlier. Having food and raiment, there would be content. And I think about, says, you know, that doesn't even talk about housing in that verse. It says food and clothing, be content. And I started thinking about it. Started adding up. How much do I spend every year on just food and clothing? That's it, because that's what God says. That's what I need. And then I looked at all the money I have left over. I was like, wow. I'm fine. I don't need anything. You know, the idea of, oh, I've got to get a promotion, a job. I gotta, if, if I could get that promotion. All those thoughts, everything. As soon as I hit that and I read that verse, it, 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 it changed my life. It absolutely is like, I don't even need nothing. I got food and clothing ten times over. You know, I really do. In, in this country, in America, you can get food and clothing. And if you have that, ah, be content. There was a time in our country called the Great Depression. And uh, there was a poem that was written after this. I love this. And I, I'm in the poetic mode this morning. So this is called God's Bank Ain't Busted Yet by Besley Titchler. The bank had closed. My earthly store had vanished from my hand. I felt there was no sadder one than I in all the land. My washerwoman, too, she hung her clothes upon the line. How could you be so gay, I asked. You lost. Don't you regret? Yes, ma'am, but what's the use to fret? God's bank ain't busted yet. I felt my burden lighter grow. Her faith I seemed to share. In prayer, I went to God's great throne and laid my burden there. The sun burst from behind the clouds in golden splendor set. I thanked God for her simple words. God's bank ain't busted yet. And now I draw rich dividends more than my hands can hold, of faith and love and trust and peace of mind untold. I thank the giver of it all, but still I can't forget my washerwoman's simple words. God's bank ain't busted yet. Oh, weary one upon life's road when everything seems drear, and losses loom on every side and skies are not so clear. Throw back your shoulders, lift your head, and cease to chaff and fret. Your dividends will be declared. God's bank ain't busted yet. Just a simple poem that really tells great truth. Please go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The next item on my enemy of contentment is self-sufficiency. I did it my way. The self-sufficient man. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, whenever they show the portray the men that are manly, 
on TV and commercials, they never show a guy getting down on his knees and praying. That's not manly. That's not, that's not. Manly man, self-sufficient. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what did I say, 2 Corinthians? I guess I should go there. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Great verse. Not that we are, verse 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, or as the King James Version says, sufficiency. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from God. Look at Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8 is after the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land. And what he told them is, when you go into the promised land, I'm going to have hornets, bees. I'm going to have bees drive the people out. And you're going to go in there, and I'll, you don't even have to fight. I'll, I'll have, you go in there, and you just, the land will be ready for you. You'll have crops that will already be grown. You just go into the houses and take them over. And I'll give it to you all. It's all there for you. And he tells them all these good things that are going to happen to them. And in uh, verse, uh, oh, where do we want to start? Let's start in verse, verse 10. He talks about when you go in there, he says, And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless Yahweh your God for the good land which he has given you. And, you know, when we pray before we eat a meal, you know, what's the real point of that? It's really not that, you know, you know that is God going to make the meal better for you? You know, is that food now going to be better because you prayed than it was before? Does God love you anymore if you pray or you don't pray for a meal? You know, does he look at you and say, oh, <laughs> check off that one, didn't pray. Or is really the benefit of it to us? That I, at every time I eat, I acknowledge my God as being my sufficiency. That really is why we pray when we eat. It's that we acknowledge the Creator gave it all. Without Him, I have no food. Without Him, I don't have life. Without Him, I have no air to breathe. Without Him, I have nothing. And the reason I pray is to acknowledge Yahweh, my God. And you know, that's why I think we should always pray. When you're in a restaurant, pray. When you guys were out with a group of friends, you know, you guys, someone pray. And, or say, do you guys mind? I'd like to pray. If nobody else wants to pray, you pray. Not for any other reason than you acknowledge God in your life. That he is your sufficiency. That's what he told him to do. And then he says in verse 11, beware, there it is again, beware that you do not forget Yahweh your God by not keeping his commandments. Verse 12, otherwise when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built goodly houses and lived on them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. And then he says in verse 17, Otherwise you may see in your heart my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth, but you shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to his fathers as it is this day. It's acknowledging that God is the one that gave me what I have. 
He is the one. And don't forget about it. Remember what Paul said in the first verse? He said, I learned the secret, both how to abase and how to abound. You need to learn how to live both ways. When you don't have anything and when you seemingly have it all. That you don't become prideful and haughty and self-sufficient. And the other extreme, that you don't be covetous and greedy and want what you don't have. And the way you do that is godliness. Acknowledge God. Make his relationship with you the most important thing in your life. And you live that way. Then finally, the last enemy, envy. And I put on here also jealousy. You can turn to Psalm 73. Turn to Psalm 73. Envy or jealousy. Um, in James 4, 5, it says that the spirit in us dwells, dwells in us lusts to envy. The, again, similar to covetousness, that thing to, to envy. And I put jealousy down too. There's a little difference. Envy is a feeling of grudging or somewhat admiring discontent by the possessions, achievements, or qualities of another. Envy and jealousy are very closely related. Envy denotes a longing to possess something awarded to or achieved by another, to feel envy when a friend inherits a fortune. Jealousy, on the other hand, denotes a feeling of resentment that another has gained something that one more rightfully deserves of feeling jealousy when a co-worker receives a promotion. Envy, again, you need to be aware of it. Envy, again, creeps up. It can just be a simple thought. You're sitting there and say, why does he get to do that? Why does she always get to do that? How come, how come everything good happens to him? I never get that. He always gets it. How is that? It's just not fair. He always gets it. I never get it. And it comes up all the time. These things, and, and just be a little thought. You need to say, wait, that thought's not from God. That thought has nothing to do with God. God gave his only begotten son for me. Oh, baby. God is enough. But envy will take you out. It'll take you down streets that you don't want to go. It'll take you places. And envy in the church, envy, and that whole thing, Corinthians 14, with the, uh, the body of Christ, and the eye should say, I'm not the eye. Oh, I wish I was the feet. I wish I was the nose, then I could smell. I wish I had that. Oh, he gets to, I, oh, <laughs> stop it. No, no, no. We're all the body of Christ. Everyone differing gifts. We don't envy each other. We're thankful for each other. I'm thankful for what you do. I'm thankful for your life and what you give to the body of Christ. And that's the way we should be. And don't ever allow envy in the church. Just no place for it. And yet it's rampant in the Christian church. And so a lot, a lot of times that's what divides churches. A lot of times that's what causes schism and division. Just don't let it. Don't let it. And it starts in your mind. It's not a, you know, I can sit up here and, a, you know, and, and say it, but it's right here, in the mind, between the mind and the heart. That's where it resides. There's no place for it. Not in, not in God's church. I have in your notes, and I have it here on the board, um, four different translations of Proverbs 14.30. I liked all of them. They're all a little different, 
I like them all, so I put them all in there. It says, a tranquil heart is the life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. That's the NASB. From the King James Version, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. The NIV version, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. New Living Translation, a relaxed attitude lengthens life. Jealousy rots it away. And that's great. I, I like all the translations, so it's like, I don't know which one to pick. But because th this is such a thing, when you're at home with God, I'm at peace. And there's nothing that you do or don't do that really affects me. It really doesn't matter. But when I have envy or jealousy, it's rotten. Rotten to the bones. And it, and it eats away at you. We don't want that. Psalm 73 is a great psalm of, As a psalm of Asaph. Where he, he dealt with envy. And then he came to a wonderful conclusion at the end. Before I read that, I got another poem. I told you I was in a poetic move. This one's called, The Grass is Always Greener. When I was younger, a long time ago, there were a few quotes well said. The grass is greener on the other side is the one I most often read. Maybe it cause, it's because I thought it was true. Looking at people around me, everyone else seemed better off. And like them, I wanted to be. When I was in school and studying hard, I envied people with a job. They always seemed to be joyful in themselves, partying in a great huge mob. Well, I grew up in time and soon had a job that allowed me to live free and ease. But as try as I might, and believe me, I tried, my dreams were difficult to please. I looked at the people earning nary a thing, yet enjoying the fullest life to the fullest. That's the life I thought to myself. I'd like to live like that would be the coolest. So here I am, with nothing to do, trying to enjoy life and acting very cool. I have everything, but I'm still bored. I wish I was back in school. The circle complete, from school to riches, and back in a great circular tide. And now I believe in the age-old saying, the grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> Never content with where you are. Never content with the life that you have right now. I've got to have more. I need what my neighbor has. And then I'd have it all. That's envy. Looking at someone else and desiring that. Happens with husbands and wives. A wife says, how come my husband's not like him? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a husband says, how come my wife doesn't look like her? Teens, how come, how come my parents aren't like your parents? My parents are mean. <laughs> Always wanting to be someone else, someone else's life. Get over it! Your life is your life right now. And if you have God, it's enough. That's the truth. 
That's enough. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are in a pure heart. But as for me, the psalmist writes, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. I almost fell away from God. For I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death. And their body is fatter. It means that they're full. They have, they, they're full. They have food. Look at those movie stars. Oh man, that's the life. If I had that life, oh, things would be so good. If I looked like that, whoo Baby, if I had hair on my head. <laughs> oh, man, I'd be something. I'd be somebody. You look around, all the stuff. You're looking at the wrong place. And this is what the psalmist he goes through this whole thing about looking, and he says, all oh, these people are sinners. They look like they're doing great. Me, I'm trying to live a godly life, and I'm miserable. I need to be a sinner and live like them, because, geez, they're at least having fun on their way. That's what, you know, he goes through this whole thing. And then he says in verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. I came into the sanctuary of God. He came into God's presence. Surely you set them in a slippery place, you cast them down to destruction. In verse 20, he says, Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. That's what it is when you, when you, when you don't keep God, you, it's senseless. We look at ripped jeans to think that's something spectacular. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have hold of me on my right hand. Your counsel will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. There's nothing else I want. All I want is you, God. That's all I need. That's all I need. I just want you. And you know what? When we said God never leaves you or forsakes you, anytime you come that way, God is always there. He's always there. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you're looking in the wrong place, when you seek him, you'll find him. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. I may die today. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, look at this. The nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. 
I have made the Lord God, or actually in the text it's the Lord Yahweh. I have made the Lord Yahweh my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. God is enough. He's enough. And when you come to that point in your life, is when you're going to be content. And all the other times you're just going looking for the wind and you're going to try and find something that's not there. One of the real great life-changing times, one of these simple things in life, I can't, I can't um, really explain to you what went in my heart at the time, but you know, I was wrestling with a lot of stuff with my finances. Just, you know, wondering about my life. And this was when we had our home and both my boys were born. They were both real young. I think they were like two and four. And um, one night, you know, go through the day and, and, and that particular night, it usually doesn't happen, but everybody was asleep before me. I'm usually early to bed and Everybody else is up after me. But this particular night, everybody went to bed before me. And for some reason, I was up and wasn't ready to go to bed yet. And I had a cup of coffee. I mean, but I wanted coffee. I, I don't always drink decaf. But I, I, I looked in on, on my wife, and she was sleeping peacefully. And I said, look at that. She just, she's asleep. Then I went in, and my boys had a bunk bed, and... I looked in there, both peaceful at sleep. Went out in my living room and had my cup of coffee. Looked at, looked at my house and, and I just thought to myself, man, I don't deserve any of this. I, I sat there as I looked and I said, I'm a wealthy man. I'm a really, really rich, rich man. And baby, that's contentment. When you are content with God and what he's provided for you, that's the root of thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, all we need is you. You are enough. I know there's a lot of distractions, a lot of things in all of our lives. God, and right now, I ask right now for you to just strip away all that from everyone here. And let us just go back to the simple truth that you're enough. Let us go back to the simple truth that you provided all, that you gave your only begotten son for our lives that we could have eternal life in your kingdom. Wow. God, I'm so thankful this day when I pause and I think about that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for being so, so good to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that and are challenged by it. Just a couple of quick notes. One is that Valerie Fitzsimmons commented on off script 26 worshiping power 
and brought to our attention that some of the links were broken on the bottom of the show notes for the various worshiping episodes in the series we've been putting out on counterfeit gods. I've now fixed those, so you'll be able to get around that way. Also, she writes, I love this podcast. It's like fellowshipping with you all and almost being in the same room. Well, thank you, Valerie. That's exactly what we're going for here in the Offscript series is this sense of having Christian discussion where we obviously have a focus and we're prepared ahead of time, but there is a free-flowing nature to it. And the idea is that it's not too monotonous. <laughs> uh, so we break it up with uh, different voices and different views. Really try to put our heads into how do we serve God authentically today? And that's really what we're about uh, especially in the Offscript series. So, hey, if you haven't listened to any of the Offscript episodes yet, why not check them out? You can access them at restitudio.org or, or they're right there in the podcast feed that come out on Sundays. And the way they work is we'll do a series on a particular topic and then we'll take a break for a little while and play some interviews and then come back. So also if you have future ideas that you'd like to see us discuss, please drop a comment on restudio.org and we'll be sure to read those and consider them as possibilities. Thanks for listening and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.